Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast and our Resurrection Sunday message by Pastor Sean Wood. This morning I'd ask that if you have your Bibles, uh, whether it's by devices or whether it's by uh, a hard copy like I've got, that that you'd meet me this morning in, in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to pray now as we come around God's Word and uh, 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 then we'll open God's Word for uh, Holy Resurrection Sunday morning. Father, this morning, uh, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord God, I pray that your word would find a place in our hearts this morning. I pray that Easter right now, that we would set aside chocolate and set aside what's on for lunch and set aside all of the other things that are going on right now. And right now, in this place, at this time, Lord God, that your word would penetrate our hearts. We worship you, God, simply by coming under your word. And we know that your word is powerful. It's your word that spoke a universe into existence. So in recognition of that, Lord, we open ourselves up to your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, for those that are working their way towards Luke 24, I'll meet you there in a moment. But, uh, you know, this morning as we start, I'd like to tell you a little bit of a story uh, I'd like to tell you the story about a king who had a princess, uh, a, a daughter, and uh, after some time, for a random set of reasons and, and circumstances, he places his daughter in this very tall tower, and uh, she's locked away from everybody else, and she's guarded in this tower by, by uh, an enormous dragon. But uh, many men try to rescue her. Many men want her hand in marriage, and, and they all fail, but because of a random set of circumstances and because he would like his peace and quiet back, a a green monster known as an ogre decides that he will traverse uh, uh, many hardships and many afflictions and and make his way to this tower and and he ends up conquering this dragon and he rescues the princess and they all ride out on this rugged, hairy, talking donkey. (laughs) As the story goes on, um, it turns out that this princess is actually an ogre herself and they have more in common than they could have believed. And, and of course, as time goes on, they, they fall in love and they get married and, and he goes home to meet mum and dad. And, and as their story unfolds, they, 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 meet, uh, they meet some pigs that fly, a little wooden boy whose nose grows, mice who are blind but still running around and... And through all the trials and tribulations, it turns out that they live happily ever after. And of course, many people this morning are sitting there going, that's a great story, Pastor. That's a a great tale you're telling us, but that sounds a lot like Shrek. And for those of you that picked up on it, I'm telling you the story of Shrek very briefly and very overtones. But for those of us that know, there's no reality to that. Most of us know that the story I just told you has no, most people I prayed this morning that were listening to that are going, yeah, that's great, Pastor, but what's that got to do with anything this morning? The answer is nothing. What I've just told you is a fairy tale. What I've just told you is an idle tale. What I've just told you is, is a story that has really complete no bearing in our lives. It has no traction in our lives. It's nothing more than a fairy tale and it's nothing more than a nice story and it's nothing more than that. Walt Disney has exemplified it upon the movie screens, but apart from that, it's just an idle tale. The sad truth is this morning, 
The sad truth is that for many, Easter is a fairy tale. The sad truth is that for many, it's just a really nice story. (laughs) That there's no real relevance in our lives. You see, I know people who go to church two times a year. I know people who go to church Christmas Day, and I rejoice that they do. And I know people who go to church at Easter time, on Easter Sunday, and and that might be you this morning. You might, be, you might be listening in this morning and it might be your turn to come to church for the, for the second time or for the first time in this year, but for the, on this calendar. They're, they're what I call calendar Christians. Yeah, they, they come to church, and, but Jesus is a fairy tale because at the end of the day, he has no traction in their lives. They, they walk out. Many will, many will evacuate church services as they have done many years previous. They'll evacuate church services on Christmas Day and they evacuate church services on Easter. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, it has no traction in their lives. It's just an idle tale. For many, Jesus is maybe a good man, <laughs> Maybe Jesus for many is, yeah, okay, he was a prophet or, or he was a good teacher. But really the story surrounding Jesus and the resurrection is nothing more than a fairy tale for many. Here's the sad truth, friends. There's, there's many that sit in church pews and the resurrection's a fairy tale. There's many people today that, that perhaps are sitting in church pews and uh, they've been there for many years. And you know what? Christianity is a really good, you know, it's a really good idea. We should be generous and we should love one another. And I like the principles of Christianity. (laughs) But Jesus rising from the dead, well, that sounds a little bit preposterous. Nobody's done that before. It's true, nobody's ever done that before. And this morning, my aim and my hope and my prayer is this morning that as as we walk through these scriptures and As we walk through what it is I want to share with you this morning, my prayer is that the fairy tale would disperse. And what will be left is the truth that has implications for every one of our lives. Easter is not about the Easter bunny. (laughs) The Easter bunny is a fairy tale. All that surrounds it. It's interesting how we've tried to place the fairy tale inside of Easter. You know, where I come from in Tasmania, rabbits are good to eat. They taste good. They don't deliver eggs. They're good for food. They're, unless you're a vegan, of course, and then it's not the case. But, but this, this morning, I, I don't want to talk about Easter bunny. I don't want to talk about eggs. I don't want to talk about chocolate because that's not what Easter's about. And as I read through the gospel accounts, and I, you know, just this week I read every account in the gospels of the resurrection. I went through every one of them again because I wasn't sure, but I I can tell you categorically that none of the resurrection accounts start with the words, once upon a time. (laughs) And there's another truth. None of them end with, they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) We have much reason to rejoice, yes. But joy is so different to happy because circumstances can, can take away our happiness. But the reality of Jesus... Oh, nobody can take that joy away. So this morning, my hope is that we would move beyond the fairy tale and we would find Jesus this morning. That's my hope and that's my prayer. And I, and I pray you would join me on that journey. If you've, if you've found Luke chapter 24, let's, I want to share with you this morning why for me this is no fairy tale. 
I want to share with you this morning, and I want to conclude this morning with why this is no fairy tale for me, but this must be an actual event that has implications for every person on the planet. The resurrection has changed things. We don't just have Easter. We now worship on Sunday mornings because, because you know what everybody said? The first message of the disciples was they preached the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and and they said, you know what, this isn't about sacrifices and temples and laws and Sabbaths anymore. We we should meet on the Lord's Day. We should meet on Sundays. That's you know, we a lot of people blame the Catholic Church for changing the days. We the Catholic Church has got some things to blame and answer for, but not this. This this one came because you know what, Jesus and the resurrection is central to everything we are and everything we do now. And I want to ask the question: Is the resurrection central to everything we do? Chapter twenty-four of Luke, and and of course, verse one says, "But on the first day of the week, that's now Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and." First, we need to answer the question, who is they? Because when we answer the question of they, we begin with one of the first reasons why, for me, this isn't a fairy tale. You see, the, the reason they is, um, they is uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, and a lot of other women. And, and for most of us sitting this morning reading that and, and hearing that, that doesn't have any bearing on us at all. It's all like, okay, pastor. That's good news. That's, that's a great bit of history. But what's that got to do with anything? What that has got to do with it is if, if this is made up like everybody says it is, if this is a fairy tale, if, if a bunch of guys got together sometime, and we're going to explore conspiracy theories in a minute, but, but if this is a, just a conspiracy and all the disciples are together trying to hatch a plot, then, then you would not have used women as your first witnesses. No. I find this amazing. Every single one of the records of the resurrection paint the same picture. The women are the first to realise the tomb is empty. The women are the first that that, that Jesus appears to Mary. The women are first. And in the first century at this time, the women, their testimony had no power in a court of law. You wouldn't use women as the first witnesses. Historians call this the embarrassment factor. They, they say, you know what, when, when we're looking at historical truth, when we're looking at historical reality, when there is a truth or there is a reality that outlandishly brings embarrassment, they say, it's got to be true. Historians say, you know what, if, if these guys were making this up, they wouldn't have used women, they would have thought up a different plan. The embarrassment factor here cancels everything else out. It's absolutely the truth. It's, it, it, it highlights that this is not the account. This is, these are people telling the account as it was, not, not how they've made it up, not, not as they've put the, the glossy edges on. This is how it was. This was. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This is the second one. We need to stop for a moment and look at some of the facts as we're working our way along. This is the same in every record of the resurrection. The The stone has been rolled away. 
This is another reason why I don't think I'm reading a fairy tale here. Because, because this stone was a two and a half ton stone. We know that the stones that were placed in front of tombs were, it was quite an effort to get them there. I mean, to move this stone away from the tomb, you've got to roll a two and a half ton stone slightly uphill away from the door. The other question is, where's the Roman guard? They turn up to the tomb. There's no guard. There's no seal. There's no stone. The stone was rolled away. Not one person can roll that stone away on their own. But now we move to the most important one. Now we move to the essence of what Sunday morning is all about. Bear with me as a moment as we go on this journey. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, <laughs> when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Here for me is the home run. Here, it, I want to categorically tell anybody right now, if, if you want to disprove Christianity, if you want Christianity to go away, you only have to do one thing. Give us the body of Jesus Christ. You can't because it's, it's not there. It's not, it's not in a tomb. He's not dead. You can't give me a body because Jesus is not dead. That's the reality of Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. He has risen by the power of God. There was no body in the tomb. Imagine, at the, imagine the marvel at these women when they walk inside the tomb and it's empty. Where's the body? What, what have they done with Jesus? It's no body. I, I want to pause for a moment and I want to introduce what historians call minimal facts. A minimal fact is a fact of history And what I'm going to say this morning, you can go and you can Google this and you can read and search and I've got books. Come to me and I will give you the books that I've read. Uh, This is a minimal fact is a fact that is attested to by historians, sceptical historians, cynical sometimes historians, historians who are not Christians, atheistic historians all say that a minimal fact is something that is held by the majority body. I'm going to give you a series of facts now that are attested to by over 94% of historians today. Over 94% of historians, this is why I'm not reading a fairy tale. This is why this is so much more than an idle tale. Why? Because it's truth and it's reality and we can verify it. His minimal fact Number one, Jesus of Nazareth is an actual person of history. People today still say Jesus never even existed. Jesus is a mythical person made up by the Jews. Every historian debunks that as absolute nonsense. So, So work with me now. Minimal fact number one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is an actual person of history. Minimal fact number two, Jesus of Nazareth was baptised by John in the Jordan. There are other minimal facts, but I'm giving you the most important ones this morning. He was baptised by John in the Jordan. Minimal fact number three, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
There are records of this in Christian historical records, Jewish historical records, and Roman historical records. All attest to the same thing. Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Uh, Minimal fact number four, Jesus died. He was put in the tomb. He's actually dead. Very important minimal fact, but history resoundingly says Jesus was crucified. He died and was buried in a tomb, Joseph's tomb. But here's the most important minimal fact. And this one is attested to by over 74% of historians today. And a little bit less than the other ones, yes, but I believe it's because of the implications that lie with this one. Uh, uh, minimal fact number five that I want to present this morning, and the most important one, the tomb is empty. Yeah. Joseph's tomb, the tomb where Jesus' body lay, is empty. That empty tomb is the greatest point of all of history. It's the greatest event of all history. Jesus dying upon a cross for the sins of mankind. But what this empty tomb provides for everybody is a hope that extends beyond this world. And that's, that's the greatest hope that we can have. It's interesting, however, and I want to hit these head on this morning. It's, it's interesting, however, that Whenever there's major events, and we are experiencing this right now, whenever there's a major event, conspiracy theories, if for want of a better term, conspiracy theories begin to develop. And conspiracy theories are usually no more than that. They're they're nothing more than a theory, and they're a diversion away from the truth. They're a diversion away. And here's conspiracy, I want to deal with some of the conspiracy theories surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because what we have is an empty tomb. And what we have is many people trying to fairy tale the the empty tomb. They're trying to remove the implications. They're trying to find a back door for this truth. And and let me present to you some of the back doors this morning. These are the top back doors. These are the top theories surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one is the conspiracy theory that the disciples stole the body. Wow. Let us all unpack that together for a moment. We have a tomb without a body and now everybody's saying, yeah, the disciples, they, they wanted to keep this whole thing going. So they've come and stolen the body. They've, they've taken the body out of the tomb. And let's unpack that for a moment. Uh, we're talking now 11 men because, of course, Judas has, has perished. But we're talking 11 men come and they sneak past a Roman guard. Apparently, they sneak past the Roman guard. They go past the Roman seal, which meant death in those days. They move a two and a half ton stone. They sneak in. They take the body of Jesus. They, they walk out of the city of Jerusalem, which is now almost tenfold in population because of the Passover feast. Nobody sees a thing. Nobody witnesses a thing. And further to this conspiracy theory is that they take the body, they hide the body, they develop this story where women are the first ones to find Jesus. They develop this elaborate story. It's an elaborate story which is a lie that 11 men and many others will willingly go to their deaths for. We're going we're to touch on that before we finish today. You know, Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson was an advisor for President Nixon through the Watergate affair. 
He had, he had something to say about conspiracy theories as well. He says, you know, conspiracy theories, the more people you involve, the quicker they all fall apart. And he highlights it in Watergate. He said it was three weeks. He says before the first witness blew the whistle and said, this is how it all happened. <laughs> the fabric of the whole conspiracy fell apart. And you're telling me that 11 scared, frightened men, one of them a teenager, the, the Apostle John, that these scared, frightened men went to their deaths willingly for a lie and for a conspiracy? And that nobody blew the whistle? Come on. Some of the other conspiracy theories are that, you know what, they, people can see the clear evidence that these men must have seen something that impacted them. History tells us, and historians all attest to the truth, that something physically transpired, something tangibly transpired inside of the disciples because they then, this one event propels their lives in a certain direction. A huge challenge that's going to come to us before this morning is finished. But uh, everybody will now say, one of the other conspiracy theories is that this is due to them hallucinating. Now, hallucinations happen. Medical I'm sure there's medical people listening to me this morning and go, no, look, hallucinations are a real thing. Sometimes people hallucinate. In the 60s, it was happening all the time. In the 70s, it was just like normal life. And if you're from Nimbin, you go, hang on, isn't it real life <laughs> a hallucination? But bear with me for a moment. Come on. But bear with me for a moment. All those in the medical fraternity go, hang on a second. That's not what's happened here. Hallucinations happen, yes. Uh, They may have been overcome with grief to the point where they've wanted to see something, yes. (laughs) He says, but medical fraternity go, this never happens to more than one person. What we have here is 11 people that see exactly the same thing. But it goes further than that. In, In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus appears to Cephas, Peter, to the 12 to James, the half-brother of Jesus, we'll touch on him in a moment. Then Paul says he appears to me, one born out of time. And then he says, Jesus appears to 500 people all at once. Now the medical fraternity going, this is a possibility. People don't hallucinate the same thing. Paul is so brazen in his declaration in 1 Corinthians. He says, Jesus has appeared to over 500 people at once of whom are still alive. Go and ask them for yourselves. That's, that's basically what he's saying. That they hallucinated? Because there's no doubt, this is really interesting, there's no doubt from either atheists or believers alike that whatever happened in the lives of the disciples, they believed what they proclaimed. So we have the conspiracy theory that the disciples concocted the story and stole the body, the conspiracy theory, if you like, that the that they all hallucinated. But then there's another one. Well, you know what? Jesus never really died. You know, he never really died upon the cross or, or encapsulated inside of this one is that he swooned or he faked his death. Now, friends, I need to tell you, the Romans were good. if the Romans were good at anything, it was killing people. I mean, they made an art form out of this. Crucifixion was the most horrid way imaginable for somebody to be executed. And the Romans, the Romans were good at this. Listen, If you were ordered to execute somebody and they didn't die, you got executed. So if you were the executioner, you made sure you got this right. But encapsulated in this theory, if you like, is that Jesus 
didn't actually die, but the cooler climate of the tomb allowed him to recover. And we're talking a guy now with nails being through his feet, nails through his hands, gets up inside the tomb, rolls the two, the stone away, sneaks out past a Roman guard and disappears without anybody seeing him. Come on, friends. This is not a fairy tale. These theories are a fairy tale. Mankind is running away from an enormously glorious truth that the tomb is empty. Very briefly this morning, I have desired and wanted to share with you some of the reasons why for me, this could not possibly be a fairy tale. You know, philosopher Karl Propper, he proposed that the definitive method of determining truth and validity, let me, let me read this out for you, that, that instead of proving something to be true, instead the need was actually to prove it to be false. And it's a method they use today. That if we want to verify truth, Karl Popper says, it's not about scientifically verifying its validity, but by disproving it. We scientifically disprove it. And on that basis, nobody has come close to disproving the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the dead. You see, the disciples didn't see a ghost. They didn't see Jesus' spirit. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. When I use the word resurrection, I mean Jesus rose bodily from the grave by the power of God. Supernatural resurrection. Let's keep reading on this morning. and If you're tracking with me, we're in verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. <laughs> a bit like myself right now. Verse 5, and as a, Terry, if you want to know what a man in dazzling apparel looks like, it's Terry. I mean, he's the, he's the fashionista. And as they were frightened, verse 5, and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> I love that verse. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, uh, my God is not dead. I want everybody to hear that my God is not dead. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus Christ is my Saviour. Jesus Christ is alive today. The tomb is empty. And we so often seek the living among the dead. So often, I want to tell everybody this morning categorically, I want to tell everybody this, Easter is not where we somberly reflect and remember the dead. It's where we celebrate the living. I know what Good Friday is all about. But Good Friday has the taste on the tongue of the celebration of Sunday. I know we remember the price that Jesus paid. I know we remember that Jesus walked the road to the cross as he chose to for every single one of us. But the message of Easter is this. The tomb is empty. My Saviour is risen. We no longer seek the living amongst the dead.
He is not here. I love this. This is, this is one of the most powerful verses in all of the gospel accounts. He is not here, but has risen. He is not here, but has risen. And all of the world and all of mankind wants to put Jesus back in the tomb. And they want to roll the stone back over. But you can't do it. Can't do it. Couldn't hold him before, won't hold him now. He is not here, but he has risen. The tomb being empty spells enormous hope for every single person. Let let me tell you what the tomb being empty means. The tomb being empty means that there is far more to life than what happens here in the physical. That life is far more than that. Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men. The empty tomb says that there is something, there is a hope to anchor to outside of this world. Uh, The empty tomb says that no outward circumstance can overcome the power of God. Come on, can I get an amen this morning that there is not a single circumstance, there's not a single virus, there's not a single stone, there's nothing that can overcome the power of God. That's what the empty tomb says for every single one of us. Why would we want to put that stone back? Why would anybody want to put it back? It means that we can have a life, eternal life. Jesus' resurrection from the dead gives us a hope that we can live forever just like he lives forever. He's the firstborn from the dead. That's what Scripture says. It means that we can have eternal life. Jesus spoke of eternal life. It starts here now, but goes on into eternity. Oh, friends, that empty tomb means that no matter what, I don't know who read the pastor's comments this morning. If you read the pastor's comments this morning, you know what I'm going to say. This is not the end, but it's the beginning. The the empty tomb for the disciples, they thought their world had ended. For those that read the pastor's comments this morning, they thought their entire world had, had, had collapsed. They placed all of their life, all of their world was Jesus. Jesus spoke about setting up a kingdom. Jesus spoke about reigning forever. And, and then of course, he dies upon the cross and now they think it's all gone. They think this is the end. There's been, there's been earthquakes. There's been darkness. The, 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 the temple curtains rent in two. Surely the, the, this is the end. No, friends, it was just the beginning. Praise God, it was just the beginning. Why God is in control. The empty tomb tells us one thing. God is in control. Rome couldn't kill God. Doesn't matter what you do, you can't kill him. His power is far too great. He is in control. When it looks like God has lost, they're looking at their Jesus beaten up upon the cross and they think we have lost, but it was the greatest victory. That's the irony of the cross. The irony is that an apparent enormous defeat was the greatest victory in the universe. And you get to live that. You have to forgive me for getting a little bit excited this God is in control, friends. Let's keep reading on. 
starting at verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words then. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, not 12 now, the 11, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Luke tells us who was there, and Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women, who with them told these things to the apostles. Verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And here's the sad truth this morning. That for so many, these words seem like an idle tale. So many don't believe. I want to ask everybody a question this morning. What if? What if that tomb is empty? You might be listening this morning and you might, you might say, I don't go to church all that often. I just thought I'd, just thought I'd pop in and listen this morning. If, if that's you this morning, I want to ask you a question. What if Jesus is a real person of history? What if Jesus did do miracles? What if Jesus did die upon the cross? And what if that tomb is empty? What if? What if? As I come to a close this morning, I'm going to close with the number one reason why this is not a fairy tale. It's the next verse. I'm going to talk about the next verse in a moment. I want to talk about those 11 men. I want to talk about some of these 11 men here that we might know the names of. You know, guys like Thomas, guys like Peter, guys like John, guys like James. Some of the disciples of Jesus. For them, that empty tomb became an enormous reality. For them, this was not a fairy tale. This was real. For them, all bar one of them, They would die for this truth. How many men would die for a lie? For these guys, it was truth. For these guys, it was a reality. For these guys, there's no once upon a time here. That's not for these guys. Let's let's work through some of their stories. Peter. Peter is martyred or executed under Nero. And when he's marched out to be crucified, he asks to be crucified upside down because he is not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. And he's crucified upside down under Nero. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he would say that Jesus appeared to him as well. And, and he would say that <clears throat> he was a, an apostle born out of time. And he would be beheaded by Nero, under the great persecution that begins in about 64, 65 AD. For, for guys like Thomas. <laughs> now, James, the brother of John, he's killed by Herod. And for those that have an Indian background, they will know of St. Thomas. St. Thomas, Tom- Thomas is the one that doubts. <laughs> But it, it became, an, the fairy tale was removed for Thomas. 
And I want to encourage everybody here today, if you're sitting here going, you know what, how can I know that this is true? We're going to get to that in a moment. You know, when, when Thomas says, for me, I need to put my finger in the hole in his hands and I need to put my hand in his side. He says, I need to be sure. If that's you this morning, then I want to encourage you to make sure for yourself. You can do that. But, but for, this, for this Thomas, for this doubting Thomas, he, the reality of the resurrection would compel him to take the gospel to India. For those with an Indian background, you will know of St. Thomas. And many are converted under his ministry and he is eventually flayed. For those who know what that is. He's flayed in India for the gospel because he refuses to tell about the reality. It wasn't a fairy tale for Thomas. It wasn't a fairy tale for Peter. What about, what about James, the half-brother of Jesus? Because Paul says that Jesus appears to Cephas, the 12, and James, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and this James would become the Bishop of Jerusalem. The once sceptical James, the once, the once doubting James, now becomes the Bishop of Jerusalem. And he is, first of all, they try killing him by throwing him off the, the top of the temple. And he's, to their dismay and their horror, he gets up and dusts himself off. And he's later killed when the, when the city's ransacked. And then there's John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the the beloved disciple. Now, John, <laughs> under Nero, is put in a burning tub of oil. <laughs> no soap required, right? In a burning tub of oil. And when it has no effect on him, Nero says, get him out of my sight. He puts him on the Isle of Patmos. And John's the only guy who lives to something like 98, I think is the greatest These guys willingly died for the truth and the reality of that empty tomb. These guys devoted their entire lives to this truth. It revolutionized and transformed their lives. And this truth, the reality of the empty tomb, can transform your life today. You might be sitting here saying, well, you know, I've been... I've been serving the Lord for 20 years. I've been going to church for 20 years. This truth can still revolutionize your life today. Every Easter, I lay a similar challenge at the feet of everybody because I want Easter to be more than a fairy tale. I want Easter to be more than an idle tale for every single one of us. Have a listen to what happens next. Verse 12, but, I love that word but for those that, have heard me speak before. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. He went home marvelling at what had happened. I encourage every single person here today, I encourage every single person to grab hold of this truth for yourself. Do what you have to do. Run to the tomb. Look inside. I, I, I love that scene in in that miniseries, AD, Kingdom and Power, it starts off with the, it, it's the story of the book of Acts, but it starts off at the, at the resurrection of Jesus. And we have Peter and John, uh, they hear from Mary and the ladies about the empty tomb and, and they run to the tomb and, <clears throat> and Peter and John run in and they, and they see that the tomb is empty and Peter gets up and he runs out and Mary's waiting outside the tomb and, and John comes out and Mary says, what did you find? 
And John says, absolutely nothing. <laughs> he says, but I found absolutely everything. I want everybody to know that when I found Jesus, I found absolutely everything. I want everybody in this listening to me today to know one unchangeable truth. That empty tomb for me is absolutely everything in my life. It's everything I hope in. It's the power of a transformed life. Jesus is everything to me. And he can be everything to you too. I want to challenge you. Is this an idle tale for you? Is this a fairy tale for you? I want to encourage everybody this morning. Don't leave Easter as a fairy tale. Do away with the conspiracy theories. Do away with the, the fanciful elements and have a look at the cold, hard truth and reality of the facts. That tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive today. And that power that raised him from the dead is a power that we all can know. Individually know. Easter is not a one-time event. It's a reality that transforms your life. Let us pray together this morning. Jesus, your word says that you appeared to the disciples. Your word says that you opened their minds to understand and to know. Jesus, I pray that you would appear to every person that's listening. I pray that you would open every mind and every heart. Let us all know the fullness of the reality of that empty tomb, Lord God, I pray. Jesus, let there be no fairy tale anymore for us. But I pray that every single one of us would know the truth and the reality of that empty tomb. Thank you for the hope that that brings to our world right now. Thank you that the hope of that empty tomb brings to every single one of us. Jesus, I rejoice in that truth. I look to you this morning, Lord Jesus. Open our minds. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen. God bless you each and every one of you. And uh, <clears throat> for those that are listening and want to respond in any way, then please know that you can contact us and we would love to hear from you and talk with you and pray with you in any way that we can. I pray God's richest blessings on you at this Easter period and that he would keep you safe and protect you. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.